This is Let's Talk Business with your hosts, Mark Ebinger and Heather Bain. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, a show that highlights and promotes entrepreneurs to learn more about their vision, goals, and marketing strategy. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about what happens to a company's senior leadership when they get taken over by a private equity firm. In studio with us today is Rick Love, the president of Vintage Air, a company that manufactures performance air conditioning and climate control systems for classic cars, trucks, and specialty vehicles. Rick, welcome to the show. Excited to be here, Mark. Thanks for asking me on. Excited to have you here. I was looking at some of the pictures from you guys' website, and there was a Ford Bronco, a brown one on there, right? It's a regular Bronco, and I'm like, wow, that takes me back to the day. I like looking at those vintage cars. You guys ever do a Chevy Love? You know, we haven't done a Chevy Love yet. Um, that, that's one of those things that – now, I'm not saying nobody has because a <laughs> lot of our systems that we manufacture are – well, I don't want to say universal systems, but they're systems that can be used in about anything. So I'd be surprised if at some point one of our systems has not made its way into a Chevy Love pickup. I don't know. I think I'd like to go buy that old Chevy Love I used to have. That was, <laughs> that was my first vehicle. It's really cool. All right, I'm your host, Mark. You're dating Ebing. yourself. This I, am, I am. I am dating myself. I'm your host, Mark Evinger, the owner of Kruka's Virtual Staffing, a company that specializes in hiring virtual assistants from outside the United States. And I am Heather Baim, a certified business coach who focuses on vision and clarity. It's a lot easier to get where you're going if you know where that is. Love it. Did you work on that thing? No, I just made it up right now. You did? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was on vacation. Uh, I, I really go Bahamas. off, just off the cuff a lot better. And if I plan it, it sounds really bad. Canned, yeah. Canned, yeah. yeah. I don't look good on paper. I look good just like this. Talk Quick reminder for uh, to follow our podcast uh, on all the social media channels, of course, YouTube, um, and, of course, podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, iTunes, and all that. So if you want to listen or if you want to watch, we got it all. You can get to them easily by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. All right, so, Rick, uh, Vintage Air. Uh, how did you end up at Vintage Air, and what is Vintage Air? Well, uh, Vintage Air, as you mentioned in your introduction, we're a, a San Antonio-based manufacturing company. We design, develop, and manufacture climate control systems, primarily for the classic car, muscle car, classic truck marketplace. We do a little bit of, of OEM manufacturing. Um, some people may be familiar with the Ford GT, the, the flagship for Ford, their two-seat mid-engine supercar. Uh, they're on their second iteration of that now, the 2004-2007 model. We did the AC for that vehicle. And also for the current, uh, the 2016 and up Ford GT, we do that as well. We do some other small um, OEM projects, but primarily we're an aftermarket company that that focuses on the classic car market. And how big are you guys here in San Antonio? Uh, we have 160 employees. So wow. we're on the northeast side of town, um, out towards the Rowan Mokes area out there in, in Bracken. And uh, that's about our, that's our third location. We've been in business now for 40, 47 years. So we've been in San Antonio a long time. You guys have been awarded the uh, Best New Product Awards by uh, C -E or SEMA, the Specialty Equipment Manufacturing or Marketing Association. Mm -hmm. or uh, Yeah, Association. Uh, do you remember what those awards were for? Yeah, for several of our new systems. Uh, in fact, we got an award for our, our newest, uh, what we call our Gen 5, our newest system. Uh, that's probably the most like an OEM system for that the aftermarket has seen injection molded case, a lot of advancements that you would normally see in, in an OEM vehicle that we've now brought into the aftermarket. Oh, cool. All right. And so um, who's the founder? Jack? Chisenhall? Yep. Jack Chisenhall was our founder, uh, started Vintage Air in 1976, started down on Broadway. Uh, he did, he was a, a entrepreneur 
and grew up around old cars, hot rodder from a young age, and wanted to get into manufacturing. He served in the Air Force, and then when he got out of the Air Force, he wanted to manufacture hot rod parts. And looking around to see what what niche needed to be filled, living in San Antonio, Mm -hmm. you know, air conditioning made a lot of sense. So he got into business. And in the early early years of the business, he also did some um, OEM work as well. And that was back in a time, back in the uh, mid-70s, where you could still buy a car off the lot that didn't have air conditioning, you know. And Jack did a lot of trucks and Dodge Darts and things like that that oh. didn't have air originally and added air conditioning to them for the San Antonio market. So he did some of that. Meanwhile, developing systems that were designed specifically for old cars and for the the packaging restraints that you have, constraints that you have, the space available and uh, the performance that you needed and things. So that was always his main goal. And, and he kind of ratcheted up to that. How long have you been with the company? I've been with him full time since 98. Uh, I worked for Jack. I met Jack in the early eighties. Uh, I was working for another company then. I did a lot of international travel and, and uh, had a lot of time off at home. I say a lot of hot time off. I'd go <laughs> travel and I'd come back and have a week or two off and was building building cars for myself and a little bit on the side and and with this extra time I started a small business where I was doing wiring and air conditioning installations on on people's cars so I met Jack and uh, became a dealer for his products and doing installations for his products and we became friends uh, early into the process and uh, we used my 39 Ford for some kit development that I had at the time and uh, and still have, as a matter of fact, and uh, just became, you know, doing some more things for him, did some R&D work, started doing some shows on the road for him. And um, after I had a son, he I didn't like being gone so much, being gone mm-hmm. two, three weeks at a time. Heather, I'm sure you can relate to that as I well. Can. And uh, so we kind of got together and ended up going to work for him full time in, in 98. So been there 25 years now. So tell me what it looks like, because he started this company in the 70s. Yeah. And obviously it had success. Um, He's building parts, creating Mm -hmm. creating this niche need. But you've gone from coming on in 98 in a sales R&D capacity to being bought out by a private equity firm. What did the scale look like before you guys? You know, you know, Jack was a visionary, not only uh, in in technological things that he wanted to accomplish. He always wanted to be cutting edge of technology in the industry. But he was also a visionary in growing the business. And, you know, like any business that is eventually, and you're seeing this a lot, not only in our industry, but in so many industries, family-run companies are, you know, the the owners are getting to an age where they want to start relaxing a little more, mm-hmm. enjoying their family a little more. And that's what happened in ours. In the aftermarket industry that we're involved in, that's getting to be a very common thing now, either larger conglomerates. Um, many people have heard of Holly that does the carburetors and everything. Holly right now owns 76 different automotive-centered companies. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate, and um, Jack searched long and hard when when he made the decision that he was ready to, to, to sell the company. And he wanted to find a group that would carry on his legacy and not just be one of these, you know, some private equity groups have a bad, you know, leave a bad taste because they're, they're kind of, they come in and they, they just gut the company and, and things Buying like that. It for parts. Yeah, exactly. And we were very fortunate. Jack was very picky. He wanted to find some people that would that would really carry on the legacy and, and the family oriented way that we do business. And we're very fortunate. We we are now uh we were acquired by a group called Mangrove Um Equity Group out of Florida. 
a small group of guys, private equity company, and they've they've held true to Jack's ideals, and they are not a real micromanaging company. We've been very fortunate in that respect. They care about the employees, and uh, so most of our customers have no idea that anything changed when when Jack sold the company. And I think an ideal transition is that way that you don't see it in the business world. Your customers don't know it. They don't see any different. You know, our, mm-hmm. our customers, our distributors, our retail customers, they're still dealing with the same guys they did before. The sales guys they dealt with before, they're dealing with now. And uh, we still travel. We still do shows. We still do a lot of the in-person stuff. So in, in many ways, Vintage Air isn't any different now than when it was privately owned. And, and I think that's a testament to the group we have and, again, to Jack and the way he, he framed his exit strategy. Tell me a little bit, because I, I love that the culture is preserved, but that means there was a culture to preserve. Mm-hmm. What did creating that culture look like? Because you came on a while ago. Mm-hmm. Was it already there when you came on? And then how, how what did it look like to preserve that family-oriented, cutting-edge culture that he was obviously striving for? And, and that's a good question, because it, it has been a challenge through the years. When I started full-time with Vintage Air, we had... I think uh, 39 or 40 employees at that time. We were in a much smaller building on I-35 on the northeast side of town. And and fortunately, we've continued to grow through the years, and now we're 160 employees. So uh, we've been very fortunate to find a niche that's that's been very successful, and I think a lot of that's due to Jack's foresight and, and the just the, the way that we've framed the business for growth. And part of that is that the employees – we do try to maintain a family atmosphere. I mean, I I walk through the plant every morning, and and mm-hmm. I know all of our employees by a, on a first name basis. And we don't we're even getting more now less from having managers in our departments to where we have group leaders in our departments. So uh, the employees themselves have a voice in in manufacturing, and if they know a better way to do something, we're open to hear. That's what they do every day. So that's been a big part of, of what we've focused on through the years is to try to have employee ownership in in what they do. And I think that's extremely important in our industry, like so many industries that, you know, we're not building, and we talk about this all the time, we're not building an I need product there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not doing milk or, or bread <laughs> or eggs or something that people need every day. The, the product that we manufacture is for people's hobbies, you know, something that they're passionate about. And... With that comes a challenge that you've got to be, you've got to be producing a good product all the time that delivers on its promises and does what you say it's going to do. Because it's again, it's a small niche group, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. car enthusiasts, and um, so we've got a an audience that's been changing over time. And I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. How this has all changed, how things have changed. When when Jack really started this, it was centered more towards the cars that were 1948 and older, the hot rods, you know, street rods. That was his main target. And then into the 80s, you started getting more of the classic cars, the 57 Chevy, you know, the Tri-5 Chevys and things like that. And and now some of our latest kits that we're manufacturing are for cars in the 80s and 90s even, you know, mm-hmm. that have become classic now. I mean, those cars <laughs> are 30, 40 years old now at this point. And it's the market has changed through the years for sure. But to get back to your question, I think that's a keeping employees involved and and feeling a part of the company is a challenge that we take seriously every day, and that's that's really important to us. Mm-hmm. When you talk about uh, changing, right? So pivoting in business, that's just something we have to do as, mm-hmm. as entrepreneurs and business owners. 
constantly looking at what's going on with our business and the market and our people and then having to make changes. So what are some major pivots that Vintage Air has had to make? Well, again, like I mentioned earlier, a big part of it is what defines a classic car or a hot rod or a muscle car. You know, when when I grew up, I mean, you know, a 68 Camaro was our, I graduated high school, late 70s, and a 68 Camaro was what the car everybody wanted, you know, a Camaro or something like that. Previous to, you know, the little guys that are a little older than me, it was the it was the 50s Chevys and things like that, you know, and then you watch American Graffiti, and of course it was a street ride, you know, the 32 mm-hmm. Fords and things like that, but now, in fact, my daily driver is, an, and I drive an 87 Monte Carlo. I've got an old Aero Coupe Monte Carlo. And it's interesting to me that, as I mentioned earlier, I've still got the 39 Ford I built in the in the early 80s that was my daily driver then. I can drive that 39 to work, and I do fairly, you know, fairly often. I'll stop and get gas, and a lot of people don't even pay attention to it. It doesn't really, it doesn't even resonate with them. But that silly old Monte Carlo that I drive every day, I stopped and got gas on the way over here, and, and a guy came over. Hey, is that car for sale? Do you have, you know, yeah. it's and a younger guy, but that's a car that he can relate to. You know, he saw that growing up when he was younger. That was what a car that guys had. And you know, that whole nostalgia thing. We've got to recognize that that changes as as. Mm-hmm. So as change. a company, you guys have to change because yes. you're not just going to do the '50s cars right. or the '60s cars. Right. You're doing '70s, '80s, and '90s. Yes. So that's a whole retooling. That's a yep. whole new. Thing, right? Yeah, so it is. Is that Very how you end so. up with 160 employees? Because you're doing 50s and 60s yeah. and so forth? Well, and another thing that's changed dramatically is trucks have become a huge part of our market. And that's been growing for the last, oh, I mean, it's 20 years for sure. But in the last 10 years, trucks have become a huge part of the classic vehicle market. And I, I didn't see this coming as quickly as it's happened, but you look at some of the old pickups, and when I say old, I'm referring to, you know, 67 to 72 Chevy pickups and then 73 right up to the to the mid-90s with the Chevy pickups. Those, and the Fords as well. I don't want to just target Chevrolets, but trucks have become such a huge part of the classic car market, especially in the South. I mean, I, you know, trucks have always been a part of what we do, our heritage here, and, and you know, it's always been a truck area. But they've become, you see guys put as much money into restoring or hot rodding a, a pickup now as you used to see in just a high-end car. And, and a lot of guys are driving them every day. That's another advantage of that. 86 Ford F-150 was my first ever car, truck, whatever. I got it for $500. <laughs> If you held imagine? on to it, you'd be making some money on I that know, now, Heather, right? I'll tell you. It had the dual gas tanks, yep. and I would run out of gas and just flip to the other one because the gas gauge didn't work. It was, I, I would honestly love to hold on to it, but it was, it was, it needed a lot of work. Right. So, obviously, there's there's pivoting in the, the type of car that is the classic. So, that's going to always be shifting and changing as yep. time goes by. But then there's also the economic factor, too, because... I, I love how you said it. We're creating a want, not a need. Mm-hmm. And you acknowledge that and recognize it. So how have you guys been pivoting and shifting as inflation rises and people's pocket money and the extra fund money decreases with this market? Well, we try to produce systems that provide the best value that you can. And again, you know, our average system for a complete system for a vehicle is going to run in the, you know, the two to $2,300 range for mm-hmm. everything. You know, engine bracket, compressor, your condenser, and your inside 
unit and everything. So you're looking at at a, at a fairly large investment. You know, and the majority of our market is, you know, we're not dealing with wealthy, wealthy people. Most of our hobbyists are, you know, blue collar people, and you know, so we try to maintain the best value that we can. And again, we talk about this at our plant consistently. We have weekly meetings every every Tuesday morning. We have a quick meeting, talk about the week and and any new news and everything. And so that's our main target is we're consistently trying to do everything we can to provide the best value for our customers that we can. Mm-hmm. And another thing we're very proud of at Vintage Air is the fact that we have a lot of hot rod people that work for us. I mean, we have car enthusiasts that work for us. I mean, from engineering to people on the line to people that are our marketing people and our and our sales people, they're car enthusiasts as well. And I think that's very important to to keep that passion alive and be able to talk to our customers. You know, we we are our customers, mm-hmm. which is very important I think with any business that doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're not if you're not one of your customers, it's very difficult to relate to your customers, I feel. Yeah. So does your parking lot just look like a car show on some any days? Day? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the day, yeah. Yeah, we do. We have a and, and it's interesting that that you'll see a lot of different one. You know, I've got uh, one of our youngest sales guys that's been with us a few years, he's got a, a 300ZX, you know. and oh, nice. And just, you know, and, and his idea of a hot rod is a whole lot different from my idea mm-hmm. of a hot rod. Any IROC Zs? You know, we do, we do have an IROC Z there. And, and one of our newest kits is for the old, for the I love for the fourth that gen car. Camaros. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that was the coolest car I had ever. I always wanted to have one of those. But IROC yeah. Z, that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah, the mid-80s Camaro, those are really, and you know, it wasn't that long ago when you could pick those cars up for nothing. I mean, nobody even wanted them. If you go online now and see what those cars are selling for, they've come up dramatically. And you don't even know to need a mullet to enjoy those cars, you know, back there in the, <laughs> the 80s. Record, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the IROC Zs, the Camaros of the 80s. Uh, think about it again. I mean, that that car right now. How old is that car? I know. It's like 40 years old. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, almost 40-year-old car. I mean, if you talk an 85 Camaro right now, it's almost 40 years old. Yeah. That's hard to believe. So uh, I want to revisit the the acquisition that happened, and then we'll kind of close out with mm-hmm. what you guys are working on now, right? Um, but So when you guys were acquired by, that, um, by the private equity firm, mm-hmm. the senior leadership that was there, what happened with that? What does that look like for you guys? Uh, was everybody happy? Tell me about that. You know, the, with any change of that magnitude, there's always uncertainty. And there was a lot of uncertainty when the whole the whole process was begun and, and through. But the senior leadership that was in place under Jack, uh, I think any any good private equity group that's smart, if you've got a company that's working well, continuing to grow, and it's good people, why would you not retain those people to keep that continuity in place? You know, that's that's very important to me. Our group saw that as, as one of their top priorities when they were in negotiations with Jack. I mean, that was one of their first questions. What is what is the what does your top management look like? Are they interested in continuing with the business? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of their deciding factors. So they wanted the senior yes. leadership to continue yep. on. Yep, very okay. much so. Yeah, they met with us very early, and and we had conversations with them, and you know, just to see what the the synergy was between, for use of a buzzword there, I guess, yeah. if nothing else, but just see what the compatibility was like, and all of that. And it was very important 
to our group to keep our senior leadership and management in place because the company was functioning well. It, it's not like, and you know, that's one of those things, there's different reasons companies are acquired. You know, in, in some cases, the companies are failing and they're making a bunch of bad decisions. As a coach, you've seen that many times, right? And But our company was on a good trajectory. Jack had us on a good trajectory. So our the, the private equity group that we worked with, they were very... It was important to them to keep that group of leadership in place. So what happened with Jack? Is he still with the company? What's his position? Now? He still does some shows for us. I mean, kind of an ambassadorship, if for want of a better word. Um, comes by, we have lunch at least once a month and things mm-hmm. like that. And he still owns the building, and he's still the landlord of the building and everything. He retained ownership of the building, and he's still a car guy, so he's got his own cars that he's playing with and everything. And so as far as a a type of of day-to-day involvement? No, not at all. I mean, he stepped away. If he wanted to do that, keep in a day-to-day involvement, he'd have continued to own the company. Why did he want to sell it to a a private equity firm? Why Was he ready to retire? What was the deciding factor there? I don't know if retire is the right word. More of just step back and have more time with his family. You know, he had grandkids and wanted to spend some time with them, wanted to do some traveling, and, and he and his wife have done that continue to do that and um, just not have to worry about the day-to-day operations of the company like he'd done for 45 years. So it gave him an opportunity to have a little more freedom than he'd had in many years. So, But he didn't set out to find a private equity group. He just decided to, you know, that it was time to maybe make a change in company ownership. And if it was another family-run business that was looking to add another company to their to their group, that would have been fine too. It just there was the the group that ended up being the best fit was a private equity group. So I don't think he set out with that in mind to find a private equity group for ownership. It was just that was the group that stepped forward that, that had the best deal, the best fit. So I have a little bit of a different question. How early on did you as senior leadership know that he was searching to sell the company? Well, he brought us in. I, I was uh, at the time uh, executive vice president and um, he brought myself and, and several of the other senior leadership leadership in when he made the decision. So we knew very early on. So we were part of the of the group that worked with several people that were interested in the company. So he was very upfront and uh, very transparent from the beginning, and and I respect him for that. I mean, he mm-hmm. uh, again, like Jack has always been, he wanted the best for his employees and the people that had worked with him for years because our senior le- leadership, myself and and our current VP of operations, uh, Ryan Zwicker, we we started within months of each other full time in '98. So we'd worked with Jack a long time, and uh, again, we were friends along with being employees of him. So he 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 wanted the best for us and his employees. So uh, we were brought into that into the process very early. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I think a lot of business owners they either don't have an exit strategy, and then when they finally do decide, you know what, I'm going to try to sell it, but we're not going to tell people. And there's there's two sides of that coin. It's trying to scramble to be ready to exit. Right. And that's a whole process in itself because if you've been running without systems and processes and clear, clear structure, it's, it's hard to sell. And the other end is without the buy-in from your team, if they get a whiff of it, all of a sudden it causes so much instability and all the cooperation that you need to sell a business – gone. I yep. mean, not 
out of spite, I don't think, but out of just insecurity, what's going to happen to us. Right. No, there's no worse feeling than uncertainty. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, uncertainty, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I think it was very smart of him to, to bring us in. And again, we worked with several people that had interest in the company and, you know, gauging our level level of comfort with those groups was a big part of the, of the final decision on which company to go with. And I think that's in some ways you see that because I've seen a lot of, of businesses in our industry be acquired through the last few years. Again, because a lot of these entrepreneurs that started these businesses have gotten to the age where they're ready to, you know, to do something else. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it happen both ways. And the companies that have had the most success post acquisition, it seems like have been the companies that had their leadership involved from the beginning. And there's a comfort level with with that next that next phase of ownership. Well, yeah, as an employee, you want continuity of of power, right? Or mm-hmm. a position or whatever. You, you don't want to be worried about whether the ground's going to go out from underneath right. you. You know what right. I mean? So what's coming up for Vintage Air? What are you guys working on? Uh, anything new you want to share? Well, we're continuing to develop new systems. Uh, the, the system we just released is for actually for the 79 to 83 Mustangs, what they, what they refer to as a Fox body Mustang, you know, right there with your Camaros, same era with the Camaros and everything. So um, those cars, if you watch the value of them, they've become... They seem to be going up all the time, too. More and more people, you know, again, guys that grew up in the 80s with those Mustangs in the 80s, they have a real nostalgia for them. And you're starting to see people restore them. And, you know, the great thing about these cars, like that Monte Carlo I drive and and Mustangs and trucks from the 80s and 90s, they're pretty good vehicles to begin with. You can upgrade the suspension. You can upgrade the brakes. You can upgrade the climate control. And, again, you can make that into a daily driver pretty easy in a car that's simple to work on. You know, it's not fully computerized like yeah. some of the later model vehicles are. I don't know if I like all the computerization anyway. It's like you get into your car and you got all this stuff going on. Well, it's, and like, it's expensive I, to I'm fix. Just, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a nightmare to fix the computer system. I mean, oof. And you look at the pricing these days. You know, what's a new truck cost? If you looked at a new, you know, oh, a new pickup these days, grand. what they cost? Yeah, yeah I mean, grand. you know. Forty-five for a base level. For I basic. mean, you know, for a for a decent pickup anymore, you're seventy, eighty thousand dollars without a problem, and you can build you a nice mid-eighties Ford Chevrolet pickup for less than that. And the great thing about it is, it's continuing to hold its value or go up in value every year, rather than just having that you know that value going away every day. And for a car guy, it's nice to have a vehicle that you can still tinker with and work on without having to have all the computerized stuff. So I think there's you know, like most nostalgia, there's that return to simplicity, right? I mean, that's what nostalgia is in so many ways. It's a return to simplicity. So there's a, there's a lot of benefits to that. You know, I think my next car is going to be an IRXE. I'm going to go get one tricked <laughs> out. And they got wraps now, Jennifer's right? So I can right. wrap this, it like, how I want it. to wrap it. I can, no joke, I can still picture out in front of a strip mall in Klamath Falls, Oregon, a white, out in front of the, right where the music store was, and there was a, a, a white Irox Z pulls up, and I can still hear the sound of it. And I just thought that was the coolest car ever. You know what I mean? It's not weird that that made such an impact on me, but I love it. I love what you're doing too, and it because it's it's recycling is not the right word, but it's just like reconnecting mm-hmm. us to our childhood in a way, and that's the nostalgia you're talking about. 
but air conditioning is a thing. You got to have air conditioning. There's nostalgia and then there's just basic needs, especially in San Antonio. Well, in so many places. I mean, and if you're going to drive a vehicle anymore, you know, the, the first hot rod I had was not air conditioned. And, you know, I was early 20s and stuff. It wasn't that big a deal at that point. But man, you go out on a date or something. It's it's really hard to or get hit. Traffic. It's exactly right. You get stuck no in traffic AC. and how miserable that is. It was and fine until we've you had all to become. Stop think how many you know when you grew up was every car you had when you grew up air conditioned in I most c- cases. Couldn't it, tell no. you. So I was from it wasn't. Uh, Northern California, Southern Oregon. We didn't have air conditioning. wasn't really needed right. there mm. until I ended up here in Texas, and it's like we actually had a '78 Chevette that we drove to Texas and me and my wife and uh, it didn't have air conditioning. And we quickly realized we need a car with air conditioning. Yeah. Now you can tell a young broke person because their car's AC went out and they haven't fixed it yet. I had like a, back when I was in my early twenties, I got one of those styrofoam coolers. (laughs) So you're we're we're talking R and D. Yep. I got a styrofoam cooler with ice in it and a little air duct coming out of it and a fan that I would plug into my, my cigarette lighter and that was my air conditioning in my car because I had an hour and a half commute into oh, my job man. at Dallas. Man. I was 22. That's, you know, that's very similar. It's funny that you say that, Heather. If you look at the old, some of the old pictures, you know, when you see that old hang-on air conditioner they used mm-hmm. to put outside the car. And that's just what it was. I mean, it was basically a tube that you put ice in. Mm-hmm. And the ram air of going down the road, you ran air through it across the ice and it hung over the window. And that's what came in the car. That was that was a very weird. So you were basically emulating oh, yeah. what, was a, what was a sold product <laughs> years ago. That is For crazy. a lot cheaper, probably. Well, I don't know if you guys have heard the the joke about like, you know, our our generation is going to start a revolution and it's like your generation can't start a lawnmower. And so, I can't even imagine <laughs> that you know, this generation coming up with something like oh, that. Oh, Mark, you think I ca- my dad built that. <laughs> even better. <laughs> he put that together for me and I was just like, "Thank you." Aww. Because I couldn't swing the $600 it was going to take to get my fan belt fixed. That would allow my AC to be fixed. You know, final question. So I want to understand the pricing. So you said it's in that $2,000 range or whatever, right? But then you've got installation. So if, like me, I'm not a car guy, what would be the process for me to get something like that done? I go to you. Here's my car. This is what I need. You guys put it in or you send me somewhere else. How does that happen? We we don't do any installations at our shop. Uh, Again, we're just a manufacturer. But we we know we know guys that do it. I mean, I know several guys in town that are good at it. For most of our kits, you're looking at twenty five to thirty hours for a complete installation. So it's not a simple process, but it's a bolt in process. So I mean, if you're a mechanic and especially if a guy that's built his own car, it's a bolt in system. We have really good instructions. That's part of what we do. Real good instructions. We have videos in a lot of cases. So. The the vast majority, when we did some surveys a couple of years ago, the vast majority of our systems, almost 80%, are still installed by the end user. So, okay. I mean, most of what we do, most of the systems we sell are, in, are installed by the... Now, that's not to say there's quite there's still quite a few shops nationwide that do these installations. What's but, that going to cost me, though? But again, it depends on the on the location. You know, if you're in California and you're paying somebody 25 right to 30 hours, you know, well, it, it's going to depend. It all depends on labor rate. Car. I don't yeah. like all this gray area. I mean, all give me a ballpark. Car- is it going to cost me five hundred dollars to get it installed? It or is it no, no, it's, gener- it's generally going to be in the two thousand dollar okay. range. You know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, something like okay. that, depending on depending on the shop, depending on, and you know, it depends on the vehicle you're putting mm-hmm. it into. Some are more work than others. If you've got a car that 
that spent some of its time in the rust belt, and every bolt you go to take out snaps off, you know, because it's all rusty. Obviously, that adds to the time of it. If somebody did some poor repairs on a heater core years ago and decided to, you know, put some things together that are not the way they should be, that adds time to it. You know, if every bolt you go to take out breaks, it, it affects it. But overall, that's kind of 25 to 30 hours for a full installation is kind of what we see is, is the norm, the average. Cool. Well, uh, we had a great chat. Was there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up? No, I think we had a great, it was a great, great visit. We appreciate you having us on, and okay. we're proud to be a part of the San Antonio business community. And again, we're very proud of our employees and, and the people that we have at Vintager. Did you get tickets to our mixer? Do you know about our mixer coming up? I, I did hear about it. I think it's what's two weeks, is it? Yeah, it's on yeah, the twenty fifth at yeah, five thirty p.m. I have not yet, but I got to look into that. We'll make sure we yep. get an invitation yep. to it, um, and then you know, come out. I'd love to talk to Jack too if he's yep. if he wants to come out and say hi. I wouldn't mind having him on talk about you know you know starting it from scratch because I just love talking to uh, entrepreneurs and yep. getting that discovery yeah. story. The landscape has changed over the forty plus years. You know, San Antonio's yeah. changed after the forty over the last forty plus years. But yeah, but but the same. The same characteristics that characteristics that entrepreneurial characteristic. I mean, I think that hadn't changed over the years. No, still takes that hustle and grind yep. and perseverance every day. All right, well, thanks, uh, Rick. Really enjoyed having you on. I uh, learned quite a bit myself. I'm not much of a car guy, but I appreciate the looks. I just don't know how to work on them. So I don't even change my own oil, which I don't. I feel like less of a man whenever my neighbor goes out and changes his oil, and I'm like, I don't do that. But I don't know. Yeah, it's not for me. So, all right, as we wrap up the show, quick reminder to check out our latest podcast and catch video versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. That's going to be it for us. Rick, thanks again for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great week. All right, you guys have a great week. We'll have to see you on the next one. <laughs>